Hi, everybody. Sean McCracken, news editor for Hotel News Now, here with Greg Friedman, managing partner and CEO of Peachtree Group. Tell me if I got that right, Greg, because I'm terrible with titles. <laughs> you got it perfect. So All thank right. you, Excellent. Sean, for having me. So uh, the reason I want to reach out to you is obviously we're headed into a new year and with new year comes optimism. And I'm just wondering how optimistic people should be about kind of the lending financing environments. And that's been a big stumbling block in the industry for a while now. So obviously Peachtree, you guys kind of touched both sides of that equation. Um, so I wanted to get your take on just generally how the, the lending environment is shaping up heading into 2024. I think there's you know reasons to be optimistic that we're going to have a much more robust lending environment in 2024, for especially for hotels and across not only hotels, but you know, all of commercial real estate. I mean, so there, there are reasons to be optimistic. On the reverse side, you know, I do believe. We're going to continue to have a lot of challenges across commercial real estate that will, you know, ultimately impact our industry, the hotel industry. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, that that is going to be a challenge on the capital market side in the sense that, you know, although the Fed has now started to uh, become you know, more predictable, which is, you know, which really means, you know, I don't expect that rates will increase much further. If anything, potentially rates could come down. You know, in 2024, I'm not as bullish that rates will drop as significant as you know some of the other um, or some of the investment banks have predicted. But you know, I think there is you know a higher probability rates will be dropping in 2024 than you know than you know increasing. That's for sure. And because of that stability within capital markets, I do think it's going to make make it a more viable lending market because it's going to allow traditional lenders um, to be able to you know start to you know come back into the lending side where they choose to it's going to allow you know all investors on the equity side as well as the credit side to probably have a you know have a better way of gauging underlying valuations because in 2023 you know part of the challenge has been you know with the the rise and really going back to 2022 when rates started increasing, it's just how do you value assets when you don't know where interest rates will end up staying long term? And that, you know, because, you know, where the 10 year treasury rate settles um, has a really long term impact to where, you know, cap rates will settle. And for instance, you know, over the last decade, you know, the 10 year treasuries averaged around 2.2%. Today, the 10 year treasury, and as we're talking right now, it's around 4.2%. So it's almost, double what it's been on average and when you look at that impact to the 10-year treasury rate you know ultimately that has a huge impact to what the actual cap rates that you apply to all commercial real estate including hotels and so ultimately having a more stable you know interest rate environment having a more stable and more predictable fed is going to allow i think for more lenders to come back in the market the other factor, another reason to be optimistic too, is when there is a more stable environment altogether, you know, risk premium spreads, you know, not only how you value, you know, assets, so because there's usually risk premium spreads added to, you know, the 10-year treasury rate, and that's how people figure out, you know, where, you know, what is the right risk premium spread, 
um, to, you know, across the risk-free rate being the 10-year treasury rate. And ultimately, that's how you settle on your cap rates. But then as it relates to debt spreads, you know, spreads tend to blow out when you're in a very unstable environment, you know, an environment where it's not very predictable. And that's what we've had the last, you know, 18 months, unfortunately. And as we get into a more stable environment, I think debt spreads are going to start compressing as well which, you know, will bring down borrowing costs, you know, even if um, the index rates, you know, stay relatively flat. So, um, so I think there are reasons to be optimistic and hopefully, um, hopefully we'll have a more robust lending environment in 2024. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure everyone would love to see the costs of borrowing come down to what we saw a few years ago, but in the absence of that, uh, uh, some amount of predictability and consistency would be a pretty nice consolation prize. Exactly. So, um, so I, I, I wonder, you, you brought up the likelihood of, of interest rates going down versus going up. And, and like you said, there are some people out there who are making big bets that it's going to go down and probably faster than people originally thought. Um, in your mind, as somebody who can take kind of a holistic view of the market, like, is that necessarily a good thing? I mean, obviously, debt being cheaper is in a vacuum a good thing, but you'd have to assume if it goes, if interest rates went down and they went down fast in 2024, that would mean that things are not going well in the economy, right? That, that's right. That means if interest rates go down, you know, as drastic as some people are predicting, you know, most likely that means, you know, we've, you know, we've hit not only a recession, but we've also, you know, have hit a hard landing, you know, so we're experiencing yeah. something that may not be at the level of the GFC or maybe ends up being at the level of the GFC, but I, I don't think it's going to be, I think there's so much liquidity still in the system. I think, you know, there's a ton of dry powder on the sidelines. So, I, I, you know, even if things did start to take a turn for the worse, um, you would obviously see interest rates drop. And I think a lot of that liquidity you know, all that dry powder across, you know, private equity firms that have been allocated towards um, commercial real estate would start to come in the system and help sort of, you know, stabilize um, the situation to a certain degree, but uh, at least as it relates to values of commercial real estate. And then I do think, you know, other, um, for other industries too, there's enough liquidity to help, you know, keep things going. But I, I just don't, I mean, my base case is either we have no landing or we have a soft landing in 2024. And, and part of the challenge we're going to have is we're just entering a period of higher inflation. And so the Fed, yeah. for them to reduce, I mean, they've been, I mean, if they continue to uh, hold true to their words, I mean, they're continuing to try to get inflation down to 2% a year. And it's going to be very hard to get it, you know, to 2% a year is, is my prediction. So if that's the case, for them to start dropping rates significantly in 2024, um, they're going to really need to see inflation uh, continue to moderate, which, you know, I think it will moderate at some levels, but it's not going to get to a level or at least a sustainable level, because if as they start to reduce rates, I think that's going to cause capital to flow back into the system, which is going to cause more inflation. And, and that's not going to be, you know, that's going to get them above that 2% rate very quickly. So, and that's part of the challenge because I think the job market continues to remain healthy. Uh, so, I mean, I think most people that, you know, want to have a job can get a job still. Um, I think, you know, you have just, you know, when you look across, you know, across all these different things that can drive inflation, like housing, and you know, we still have a housing shortage. 
and that's going to continue to put pressure on inflation. Um, and, and with interest rates, you know, if interest rates drop, all of a sudden that's going to cause a buying spree across housing, right? Like that's going to start yeah. spurring more inflation, more developers are going to build more homes because there is, you know, a need for it. Um, but there'll be a, probably an overbuild and that's going to drive inflation. And, you know, we continue to have, you know, just, you know, you look at oil and gas and things like that, we're still going to have, you know, issues there that are going to drive inflation. So I think there's enough, unfortunately, there's enough factors that are going to drive inflation that to allow for interest rates really to drop significantly from where they are, I think it's going to be pretty challenging, but I do think rates can drop over time. It's just, we're not going back to what we've seen over the last decade probably going to end up somewhere in between where we were over the last decade when you look at the 10-year treasury rate to where we are now. And, you know, that ultimately means, you know, unfortunately for commercial real estate, especially like multifamily, which isn't really what we're talking about today, it's detrimental to the underlying values of those assets. Fortunately, it's, you know, for hotels, we tend to be less sensitive where the 10-year treasury rate settles just because we you know mm-hmm. we typically trade at cap rates of you know eight percent you know seven to nine percent so we have you know pretty good risk premium spreads even at you know, where we are today where the 10-year treasury is you know around four percent you still have a like three to five hundred basis points of risk premium spread i am i'm curious i mean obviously peachtree you guys have restructured a bit in recent years and kind of broaden your horizons like a, traditionally a you know ho- hotel hotel investor um lender with stonehill which has now been absorbed and you guys invest in more things now but beyond that i'm wondering how has have the last few years kind of um changed your mentality or approach to lending or financing deals like do you look at things any differently now than you did back in 2019 i we still use the same, like from an underwriting perspective and how we look at the business, it's still the same. Now we do take in consideration from a standpoint of just going through the pandemic. I think there's certain markets that we're probably a little bit hesitant to lend into today, just given, you know, you know, those markets, you know, when you look at how they were performing pre-pandemic, how they're performing today, it's, you know, it's very different. And in some cases, you know, some of those markets, you know, over the last couple of years have performed extremely well compared to what they've done historically. And, and we question if that's sustainable long-term, right? So we're a little bit cautious from, you know, from some of that run-up, if, if it's truly, you know, we really question if it's truly sustainable or not. And that causes us to be careful in lending in some of those markets. But in general, we still apply the, the same principles that we've always applied in how we underwrite you know, the type of, um, you know, assets that we want, you know, the, you know, looking at the markets and what's driving demand and looking at the impact of supply in those markets, you know, I will tell you it's in, in a strange way, it's much easier for us today on the lending side today because you have, you know, less new supply getting built across our industry, mm-hmm. right? Like supplies projected to grow at around 1% a year, you know, historically supplies growing at about 1.6% a year. So supply, is projected to, you know, for the next several years, projected to be well below what historically it's performing at. And so that, that's for us when we're, you know, looking at markets, you know, you have a lot of stability just from a standpoint of, of you know, not a lot of new supply coming in. And then you have obviously, uh, at least from our view, for the next five years, we believe there's a lot of just secular trends that favor demand. So demand's projected to continue to grow at 2% a year or more 
for the next several years as we continue to recover coming out of COVID. So, so we're very bullish on the hotel space, but we're, you know, we're not really changing the way we underwrite credits other than, you know, taking into consideration some, you know, new factors that have come out of COVID, like, you know, some of the, you know, some of the markets that maybe overly benefited or some of the markets that have, you know, that's continuous struggle on the recovery side. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier too, kind of um, hotels in the grander scheme of real estate asset classes. And well, you know, there's positives and negatives about where commercial real estate is right now. I mean, how much do you think that hotels are really set to poise or to, to benefit to from, you know, struggles in office? And I mean, is it really going to be that that much more of a desirable asset class because things aren't rosy everywhere else? I'm biased because obviously yeah. <laughs> we're heavily invested invest in hotels. So I would tell you, yeah. yes, we're going to, we are going to benefit, but it, it is, I mean, if you think about it, you know, office makes up, you know, and I think roughly, you know, today, you know, you look at the current value of office and it's probably around 20% of the total commercial real estate ecosystem. And mm-hmm. so using office as an example, you know, it's, there's really a very limited trade to no trade in office. So th- those dollars, you know, groups that were allocating to office as they were trying to be diversified, you know, hotels make up roughly about 7% of the total commercial real estate ecosystem, you know, based on the current valuation of hotels across commercial real estate, you know, when you include multifamily too. So it's, you know, so we make up 7% of the space. So it's very easy for us to, um, you know, so if additional dollars, you know, came into our space, that would be super beneficial. And that would probably help. Um, and even if it was only a couple of points that normally would go towards office was allocated into hotels, that would be a huge tailwind to drive, drive potentially some cap rate compression, but also drive values at some of the, you know, you know, for the hotels directly, obviously, because lower cap rates would increase value. So I do think we could benefit, I think, on the lending side today, Specifically, you know, beyond and that comment's really more on the equity side, but on the lending side, I will tell you, you're seeing it right now. You know, there's very limited capital in the market today, right? Like most traditional lenders aren't lending. You know, 40% of the debt market is made, you know, traditionally is made up of regional banks, community banks, national banks. Yeah. I think it's been in the news, it's been in the press. Banks are under pressure. So 40% of the market is struggling to lend. The CMBS CLO market makes up probably another, you know, call it 25, 30% of lending to, um, you know, to hotels and so forth in a normalized environment. That market is well under pressure as well. So, you know, when you look at it, you know, most of the typical channels are under extreme pressure to not lend altogether. Not, and it has nothing to do with our space. It's just yeah. what's happening today. And so, with that said, you're finding that more capital, the capital that's left, more of that capital is wanting to go into hotels because you know we have really good asset level performance. So we don't have the secular distress you're seeing at the office side. We trade at higher cap rates, as I talked about earlier. So we have less negative leverage because you know typically our assets trade and are valued at a you know call it a seven to nine cap. We're in that range in some cases a little bit higher, and so. You know, compared to multifamily, which you know during the middle of the pandemic went in some cases below three percent cap rates. In most cases, they were around three to four percent cap rates. So, 
in the current, you know, interest rate environment where SOFR's, you know, around four, you know, 5.4% and, you know, the 10-year treasury is north of, you know, 4%. I mean, people are upside down very quickly across multifamily, which makes up 35% of the um, total commercial real estate ecosystem. But when you start to, you know, you start to look at different areas where it's really tough to lend into like multifamily today because of that negative leverage impact. You know, you look at uh, you look at just um, industrial, which is probably another 15, you know, 20 percent of the commercial real estate ecosystem. It has that same challenge as multi does with the negative le leverage impact. So, you know, those are very desirable assets at the asset level, but they have, you know, they have more balance sheet stress. So you are seeing because of the balance sheet stress you're seeing with the negative leverage across those property types, coupled with the secular distress offices going through the lenders that are willing to lend today, the majority of them are probably more inclined to go into hotels because we have good asset level performance. We have really good trends from a standpoint of just, you know, on a forward basis, you look at supply and demand, you know, there's, there's less supply getting built and demand is way, um, or is at least projected to continue to, to remain very robust and strong for the foreseeable future. And so, um, and we have good, you know, as I mentioned, good, you know, positive, you know, leverage in our, you know, within our ecosystem. So it's, it is favorable from that perspective, but unfortunately there's just less lenders lending. So I don't think, yeah. you know, everyone fully appreciate what's happening. I mean, do, do you think that the regional banks ever really come back in the form and fashion that they were before, or is it just um, the shock that we felt last year is going to kind of create a new normal for them? I think it's, it's been a process over the last 40 years and obviously over the last you know, 15 years coming out of the um, GFC, I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they're going to, I mean, they're going to come back and lend. It's just, there's going to be unfortunately less banks altogether. Yeah. You know, to, as we sit here today, we only have 30% of the banks that we had, you know, 40 years ago and probably five years from now, we'll probably only have 50 or 60% of those banks that are still, you know, left. So it is, you know, banks will be, continue to be under pressure, you know, over the last, you know, 15 years, obviously 14 years, banks have been less inclined to lend, you know, to commercial real estate and, you know, to hotels as well, but they were still lending to it. It just, they weren't lending at the leverage points or the levels that they were, you know, previously in most cases, because they were trying to be prudent and they had a lot of regulatory pressure and the regulators tend to, you know, really zone in on the commercial real estate book. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just, it's just going. They're going to continue to be pressured, and what the one thing I think you're going to find, you know, if you if we were talking five years from today, like looking into the future, I think you're going to find that the banks that are lending, you know, they're going to be very focused on lending where they have huge depository relationships, where they have true relation partnerships and relationships with borrowers, where they're using them for other services that that bank is offering and they're not you know they're not just going there to rent their balance sheet and you're going to yeah. find that a lot of the banks are going to start you know partnering and because this has already been happening over the last you know 12 13 years and this is you know when we started our lending platform we were you know we initially started by partnering with banks and we still partner with banks today where we go in and we'll originate a whole first mortgage loan where a bank is participating with us and we're just holding the um, junior tranche of that loan. So we're holding that subordinate piece of that first mortgage loan. And, and it's, you know, it's very attractive for that bank because they don't have to deal with the asset management headaches because in a lot of cases, they're not set up to handle it. It's better for the borrower 
because they have, you know, they have a servicer of that loan. They have a, you know, a lender of that loan that really understands, you know, their space, you know, being the hotel space. And so we can really, um, you know, structure loans that make sense for the borrower. And we can, you know, and when there's a pandemic or a great financial crisis, we can help, you know, navigate and, you know, help, you know, asset manage those loans and make it, um, you know, and do something that's reasonable for the borrower versus in some cases, you know, banks get caught up in all the regulatory pressure and so forth. And so they end up having to do things that just don't make sense. competitive advantage there or anything but i mean was there have been like obviously a lot more alternative lenders entering the space and do you think that that's going to be the vehicle for banks then broadly is partner with these these other lenders who can kind of take some of that off their balance sheet i think so i think that is the hands down that is what is going to be the future of commercial real estate lending so not only for hotels i think it's going to be for you know pretty much all property types you're going to see an aversion of for banks to go out and do whole loan lending themselves, and they're going to be inclined to at least you know many of these lenders, especially the regional banks, to partner with groups like us and drive you know drive deposits through you know the relationships with groups like us that are you know private lenders or have a private lending platform like you know like Peachtree does through you know Stonehill, our private lending platform. So just to switch gears a little bit, um, obviously construction lending has been kind of the most challenged piece of the hotel lending environment. And obviously there's, you know, the silver lining of that is that supply has remained muted and that helps the operational numbers and and it makes things look nicer when you're trying to pencil a, a transaction. But do you think, like, what, what do we need to overcome that hurdle? Like, what's going to bring back construction financing in a, in a big way? Is it literally just we need lower interest rates, or is it something a little more sophisticated than that? We just need more lenders willing to lend, right? Yeah. So if, when you have more supply of debt capital and debt liquidity, it's going to find its way into construction. Construction mm-hmm. historically is viewed as the riskiest. Uh, yeah. Type of loan to make across any commercial real estate asset, so they tend to and be less capital. In, yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's priced in. Now, I personally love, and you know, for us on our lending platform here with Peachtree Credit, you know, which is you know effectively Stonehill, you know, we we like to do construction loans because I think it's you know personally, you know, our industry new wins, right? Like, so when you mm-hmm. finance a new project, you know, you're going to have an underlying asset, especially if you pick a viable location that it should perform extremely well, you know, assuming you have the right brand, right location. And then you um, just look at it from a standpoint of a lender, we get higher spreads by doing a construction loan versus financing something that's existing with in-place cash flows. And so ultimately, I always say the risk is mispriced because the performance tends to be just as good, if not better than financing a stabilized asset, right? And so I personally like it a lot of banks don't fully, uh, you know, or uh, and when I say banks, really, you know, most financial institutions don't appreciate that piece because they look at the risk of, you know, getting the project completed. But as we all know, there's ways to mitigate, you know, construction risk. And, yeah. you know, I think we've done a good job of that historically as a firm. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, there's been a lot of talk about kind of this wave of maturities in 2024. And obviously, this is not it's something that we hear fairly often, but I'm I'm wondering from your perspective, 
Do you think that this is a real concern? Do you think this is overblown? Do you think this is something that we'll feel in pockets, kind of like we did in 2023? I mean, where where do you think that lands? I think it's it is going to be the discussion of 2024 because we're seeing it real time. We're working yeah. on several loans right now. These are you know cash and refinance loans where groups have assets where they have underlying loans maturing. The existing lender won't you know extend those loans, and these loans are you know maturing like right now as we speak. Uh, you know in the first quarter of next year, they've been working with their existing lender. The existing lender won't refinance. You're going out to the market. There's very few lenders. You know, Peachtree is one of the few lenders still lending. And so they're coming to us and they're having to, in some cases, we can do, you know, refin- you know refinancings that are neutral. And in some cases, they're actually bringing in cash, pay down the loan to let the, you know, to let it size appropriately for us to make that loan. And the catalyst of all this, again, is, is that wall of debt maturity. So the $1.9 trillion of loans that you keep hearing about maturing between now and 2026. I mean, it's real. Now, some of it will turn into, you know, where lenders will do extensions, but across the commercial real estate landscape, it's been estimated that about half those loans are going to have trouble. The 1.9 trillion are going to have trouble refinancing due to, you know, insufficient cash flows and given, you know, just the cost of debt where it's risen to. So if those loans mature today in the current interest rate regime, it's been, um, you know, a lot of analysts believe about half those loans would be in trouble or in jeopardy of being able to get refinanced without the injection of liquidity. So there's going to be, that's going to be a huge catalyst to drive groups to either, you know, potentially sell assets, which will create opportunities for everyone to be able to buy assets, you know, opportunistically. It will also create opportunities for us to lend groups that are buying assets, as well as, you know, as those loans mature, we can help. So it's it should be a very active 2024 and I, I do expect the latter half of 2024 to be really more active than what we've experienced over the last 12 months yeah and obviously a lot of that will be driven by the operating environment too right because cash flow still seem pretty strong for the most part that's totally right so if i was if i was somebody approaching you today about doing a deal um what did what general advice would you give me like what's just the general advice you give when somebody picks up the phone and calls um, Peachtree. Yeah. So if, if you're approaching me about a deal and you wanted to know if this was the right time to make an investment or not, I would tell you that it's these moments of uncertainty and dislocation is where usually you find your best opportunities, you know, as an investor in real estate within, you know, especially within hotels. And we've we buy hotels as well and we develop hotels, but it's in these moments where there's you know confusion and uncertainty and uh, and most people aren't willing to be decisive and make investments is usually when you want to be making those investments. And it, it goes back to the basics. I mean, our industry is very complex. I mean, it's a, you got an operating model, you got a you know a real estate model, but at the end of the day, it all, I mean, in, from my viewpoint, it comes down to you know brand, basis, you know, location. Is super critical sustainability. Those demand drivers within those locations, where you're located, you know, relative to uh, you know the other comp set, as well as to the actual demand drivers. Uh, so I mean, and then you want to have the right physical plant too that's sustainable through you know many cycles. So you have all those pieces together as you're making that investment, and you appropriately capitalize any you know forward renovations or near-term renovations. You should have success. 
you know, if you're thoughtful that way in your underwriting approach and you're buying in, you know, again, at the right, you know, basis and you have the right brand and location and so forth, and it's, you know, been proven to work and you can, you know, ultimately benefit as an investor if you, you know, remain disciplined, but you're willing to be decisive in this kind of market. Yeah, for sure. A lot of focus on the fundamentals, right? That's right. So, Greg, that's all I had for you. Is there any, you got any final word of, words of wisdom you want to share today? I think that's pretty much it. I would just tell you, you know, it's a, it is a extremely challenging market to operate within, but mm-hmm. challenges create a lot of opportunities. And, and I really do believe 2024 will be uh, one of the, you know, better years for, you know, for commercial real estate and for the hotel industry from a perspective of anyone that makes new investments in 2024 should experience really good outcomes and returns down the road from those investments, just given, you know, given the catalyst of just the loan maturities, as we talked about, you know, that $1.9 trillion of loans that are maturing between now and 2026. And a lot of that's front, front end loaded in 2024. And then you just look at all the CapEx you know, needs across the hotel industry because over the last, you know, over the last three years, there's been a lack of investment of CapEx dollars. Historically, about $7 billion a year is spent on CapEx projects across hotels. And, you know, the last three years, I think it's on average been around, you know, closer to around like two and a half billion. So, I mean, there's mm-hmm. been, a, you know, CapEx been, has been way under um, what it's historically been. And that's going to be another catalyst that's going to drive groups to have to, you know, potentially sell assets and, you know, allow, you know, groups that are buying assets to be able to buy them opportunistically. So I think it's going to be a very interesting environment and I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities. So it should be pretty exciting for all of us. Well, I hope your optimism bears out into reality going into the new year. Greg, I really appreciate you taking the time. This has been fantastic. Yeah, thank you. We'll talk soon. Hi, I'm Isaac Colazzo, Vice President of Analytics at STR. Hi, and I'm Jan Feitak, National Director for Hospitality Analytics for the Coastal Group. Tune in to our new show, Tell Me More, a hospitality data podcast. It's a podcast on the global hotel industry, its current trends, what we're thinking about, and where the industry's going. And we like to have fun with the data, too. Find us on hotelnewsnow.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe today. This episode of the Hotel News Now podcast was recorded on December 8th, 2023 and edited by Sean McCracken. Go to hotelnewsnow.com for the latest industry news every day.